Welcome to The Rice Life, a podcast by Rice Extension. Hi, I'm Charlton. And I'm Harriet. And we're Extension Officers for the Australian rice industry. Each week, we'll bring you a new conversation connecting growers with research, technology and best practice. Welcome to 2021, Charlie. How's things been looking for you down south? Things down south are looking really good. We've had a good start to 2021. A few thunderstorms and lightning strikes, a few flies around the place. For rice, there are a few crops starting to come to PI and some growers doing PI tissue tests, which is great because it is a free service that Sunrise offers. Um, also started to see the NDRE maps appear on the grower services portal for anyone who is included in the 10,000 hectares. So that's really exciting. But yeah, lots happening down south, planes flying around, fertilizer happening, um, going out, which is really exciting. What's happening up around your area, Harriet? Yeah, much the same. Um, people are hooking into, yeah, checking their crops for PI. Um, and it is good to note, we'll just point out that a lot of people have also been using the PI predictor tool that's been developed by, yeah, New South Wales DPI, and it's available on the RAS Extension website. Um, and it's just, basically the tool will give you a four day variance of your predicted PI date. So uh, we just had a couple of growers comment that, you know, the, the tool said that, their crop should be at PI, but when they checked it actually, you know, wasn't quite there yet or or had already passed. So yeah, just keep in mind that it's a four-day variance. So it's just a tool just to get you out and checking your paddocks. Um, and then, yeah, the imagery is really good. I've had a look at a few initial NDRE images um, that's available on the Sunrise map rice. And really interesting, there's just such uh, clear and detailed images that you can really notice this year a lot of uh, spreader or striping variation through the paddock already. So that's really something that the industry has really got to focus on going forward is just managing that induced variability when people have been spreading their nitrogen. Yeah, it's good that it's something that we'll be able to see from the images and pick up. So I guess moving forward, our job in extension will be, you know, how do we target the growers who've got that variability or make sure that they're getting their spreader calibrated. So it's definitely something we'll talk about later in the season and early for the C22 season as well. Um, another quick thing we just thought we'd mention, especially as we're coming into summer fallow spray time is people just be aware that there are other susceptible crops in the area. So with the recent rainfall events, um, we are sensing that there is high risk of spray drift. So one way of making people aware if you do have a sensitive crop planted is to enter the field into SADA crop. So SADA crop is a website that used to be the old um, cotton map uh, website and you can go in there, map your paddocks, you can take your shape files from, you know, AgWeld or your John Deere uh, software, just get your agronomist to do it. It just shows people in your area if you are growing a sensitive crop or if, you know, you're someone doing a summer fellow spray and your neighbour's got cotton in or corn in, for example, or grapevines, just so everyone's aware and to minimise that risk of spray drift. So if everybody who's listening could just jump onto SADA crop, have a look if you're in a susceptible area or map your fields. It's really good management practice. And we'll put the link to SADA crop in our show notes because, yeah, with all that rain that we've just recently had, I'm sensing that there will be a bit of fallow spraying going on. 
So on to this week's episode, I just had a really quick catch up with Laurie Lewin. Uh, he sends out information about weather. Um, he's got a basically a list of people on his emails that he sends reports every couple of weeks about what the weather's been doing. And I just wanted to sit down with him and, and chat to him about how the seasons looked this year and compared to other seasons and what the impact of that might be on potential yield. Hi, Laurie. Thanks so much for coming into the office and joining us today. I was going to start by introducing you and I thought, I was just thinking then, I was like, how do I introduce you apart from yield and weather guru? But how, how would you describe your relationship to the rice industry? Okay, I worked as a rice breeder and then at the director of the rice CRC for about 30 plus years. And um, my interest in weather just arose from that time. And really, I just keep track of weather because I'm interested in it. And so I just keep doing it and sending it out to anybody who wants it. And uh, it be, because uh, t- particularly temperature has a big effect on the, the, the sort of long-term yields. So that the, high, the higher the temperatures generally, the better the yields we get. So the temperatures I calculate are really, a, uh, and I, I use them as a guide to potential yield, really a, a potential yield over the whole industry. Yep. And that doesn't mean potential yield on any individual crop. It's just an average. So it's just an average. Yeah. And, and of course, in every year, there's big differences between top and bottom yields. And so, so there's a lot that growers can do apart from temperature. But it does, temperature does impact on the long-term yield yeah. and, and the average yield over the whole industry. Yep. And I'll just yeah clarify that, yeah, you send out emails to um, oh, quite a number of people who are interested in receiving your weather information I guess and if anyone does want to jump on and receive these emails they can get in touch with Rice Extension and we can add you on the list. Absolutely yep. I mean it can be on the list or, or you can send it I don't care the data is not private. Yep. Uh, the data I, I've, I keep uh, started in the 1959-60 season so crop year 1960 and I've kept data from both Griffith and Daniliquin in the, over that time, so it's a it's a quite a big data set now, yep. and uh, and so it does give us a guide to what's happening in the longer term. In the long term, yep. And so speaking about weather and yield, how has this season compared to others? Okay, so it seems to lots of people, including myself, that's been a relatively cool year, and it has been cool if you compare it to the last um, couple five five years. Yep. Uh, very similar to last year in long-term averages, um, but substantially above the long-term average. So substantially above what, what would we consider the 60-year average. Um, and what I'm talking about is temperature from October the 15th to December the 31st, which I use to calculate sort of the guide to potential yield. And uh, uh, there's nothing special about those numbers. It's just that they tend to correlate better with long-term yield. So... That's why we use that. Um, it was actually Tim Farrell who did a PhD on, on cold in rice, and he, he worked out that was a good time to, to have a look to at have it. a look at it. So, um, so, so we we think it's been cold, but it, if you compare it to long term, it hasn't been cold. Yep. Um, it's very, as I said, very similar to last year. Probably the difference between this season and last season is that the cold 
it's, it's been cooler later in that period. So earlier in the period, it's quite warm and, and um, it's been up and down all the time. So earlier in the period, it's been quite warm, but as we got later in the period, it got a bit cooler. And I suspect that's probably had a bigger effect on, on yield than normal. <clears throat> yep. And what about, um, I remember speaking to you about this a couple of weeks ago, that sort of cooling, potential cooling effect of the constant wind? Yeah, wind, uh, particularly at establishment time when there's not a lot of um, biomass in the rice, wind cools the, the water and makes it a lot cooler. So anybody aerial seeding tends to have a lot more trouble um, in windy times, apart from the, the actual effect of the wind, yep. it does lower the temperature of the water as well. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it does have a bit of an effect. So I suspect that that had some effect this year as well. Yeah. But I don't really keep track of wind. It's just been a feeling that it's been quite windy. Yep. Um, you said that it's not too dissimilar to last year. Um, but I did want to ask: Is it has it been a lot more cool in Daniloquin specifically? Oh yes, it has. Yeah. It's, it's un- unusually the that long term average from uh, Griffith is. Yeah, Dinaliquin's a bit, nearly two degrees less. Um, um, well, not probably not quite that much. I've got it here somewhere. Oh yeah. Um, so uh, Dinaliquin's twenty point five seven, Griffith twenty one point three seven. So more than a degree. It's normally about point three or point four difference. So um, uh, yeah. So Dinaliquin, the the south has been much cooler than the north. Um, a particularly minimum temperature. So this year's been unusual in that minimum temperatures have been sort of average or below, but maximum temperatures have been average or above. So um, it's been a bigger difference between day and night temperature on, on average. Between the two. So just flushing it out even more. So that means that, because I've had a look at your charts, like the average growing degree days has, like you said, it's been sort of... Pretty good. Pretty good, but it's that spread between the max and the... It's the speed between the maximum and minimum. Generally, we'd we'd think that the minimum has more impact on establishment. Uh, Maximum and minimum doesn't seem to matter. The difference between them doesn't seem to matter during early growth. But uh, later on, of course, at reproductive time, the minimum is really important. Yep. And what impact do you think that the temperatures this year may have an impact on yield? Well, I think... I think the yield potential at the moment is sitting just probably a little bit below last year. The yield potential over the whole industry. Mm-hmm. Um, probably it's a little lower in the south than it is in the north. Uh, um, probably not much more impact yet on, on, on average yield. They don't, I mean, the, the average, the potential yield is quite good. You know, we're, we're looking at uh, not stellar, but quite good. Yeah. Um, but of course, that's the potential over the whole industry. Where if you look at individual crops, there's going to be crops that really do have excellent potential still. Um, and, and I think that's, that points to why good management is so important. So getting that nitrogen rates right, getting the water levels right, um, that's really important in, in coming up with a, a good rice yield. Yeah, no, well that's, that's good to know. And do you think, is there any management practices potentially going forward that people might be able to do if they're you know like if you said that it's not as stellar yield potential is there any potential management tweaks growers can do from now on there's really not a lot of management tweaks they can do you've got to still try and get the nitrogen rate right top dressing rate right so Mm -hmm. 
using all the tools that might be available to help you decide what the best nitrogen rate is on your crop will really help. Um, we don't know what's going to happen from here on, uh, but of course there's always the fear of uh, low temperatures during reproduction. So getting the water level up if possible is really important in case there's going to be low temperatures. The, the one thing is that uh, if, if the crop hasn't grown quite as much, then it mightn't be quite as susceptible to low temperatures during reproduction. But the crop has grown a fair bit, I mean, compared to the long-term average, so I, I don't think we can take that as a... We, we can't see the benefit in that at this stage. Yeah, OK. And the reproductive period, just to refresh everyone, um, early pollen microspore, how many days after PI? Well, between 14 and 16. Probably, probably about 16 days after PI, we get to early pollen microspore. Yep. Now, people might think that early pollen microspore takes about the same length as flowering, so flowering takes two to three weeks across a whole crop. Early pollen microspore is much more compressed. So that, uh, say for an individual panicle, which might take six days to get to flower for the whole panicle, only takes about two days for microspore. So everything is much more compressed in terms of uh, microspore. So you've only got pro probably a week uh, over the whole crop for microspore. To occur. Yeah, okay. Uh, and the only other question or comment really I had was on Twitter there's been a little bit of a conversation about um, reflecting back to the year 1996. Uh, I, well, I was only little then. <laughs> what happened in 1996 and, and what are people worried about? Okay, 1996. Um, actually, the average temperature up until now was a bit cooler in 1996 than it has been this year. But that wasn't the important thing in 1996. In 1996, we had a really prolonged period of cold during the microspore and flowering period um, for about um, nearly a month of, of really cold temperatures. Um, the yield was very poor. Um, I think the average was about 6.8 over the whole industry, so very poor. Um, but just because it's been a bit cooler this year doesn't mean to say it's going to be cooler during microspore. There's absolutely no relationship between periods. And I think one of the key um, examples that I can give is 2014, when we had temperatures that were actually, up until this period, were actually cooler. So the yield potential wasn't great. But then we got a super hot period. I think that, might have, that year might have been when we had many days over 40 during that reproductive period. And we ended up with very high yields. So um, just the periods aren't related. Um, but yes, I mean, we, we don't want a, a repeat of 1996. Oh, but keep deep water. It doesn't, if you get temperatures as low as they were in 1996, it doesn't completely protect you because the water <coughs> temperature itself goes down. Um, it just keeps getting lower and lower. So it itself ends, ends up doing some damage, but it still protects to some extent from cold. From cold. Oh, well, it's possibly comforting to know that, yeah, what what's happened to this date has got no impact on what can happen in the future. So fingers crossed for a 2014, not a 96. Yeah, that's right. It'd be nice. It looks like it is going to get a bit warmer over the next week or so. So um, hopefully that just keeps going and, uh, and it sets us up for a pretty good yield. Yep, no, perfect. All right, well, thank you so much. I appreciate all your comments and thoughts. Good.
So following on from your chat with Laurie Harriet, what did you learn about this season? Does Laurie have any you know, key management tips or tips and tricks for our growers as how to manage the variability that we are seeing in the weather? I guess because a lot of people were or have been quite nervous, you know, thinking that it really has been that cooler sort of year. Um, but he sort of was quite interesting that he kept stressing, you know, it's it's not not be all and end all that, you know, the potential while it is below the last five years, it's still above the long-term average. It was also good that he was pointing out, you know, the season's not yet over and how just because we've had some cool temperatures up until now doesn't mean that we're going to continue to see it throughout the season. Yeah, deep water, I guess, is your only real management tool that you've got to protect yourself against these cold weathers. So anyone who's looking for help on how long it will take paddocks to fill up, you can go to page 26 of the latest rice growing guide. And it gives you a really nice table as to show you like you can pick what your flow rate is and what your hectares are. And it gives you an indication of how long it's going to take to fill your paddock. So that's a useful tool for anyone. Yes, weather has impact on yield potential, but really it's management that has the most impact on your yield at the end of the day. So, you know, uh, those growers that have been following those key steps that we've been talking about throughout the year, you know, they're in a really good position to make sure that they've got good yield potential. Yeah, most definitely. I think for the growers that have been really succinct in following those key steps and making sure that they're ticking them off along the way and also that they planted within the growing window will definitely increase their yield potential, especially since we've had this cool weather and everybody is a little bit uncertain. So if you do have any questions about the key steps or you're looking to make sure to see where you're up to, jump over to the Rice Extension website, but we will also link them in our show notes. Alrighty, thanks for listening in and until next time, have a rice day. Thank you.